Thank you for listening to CG Life with Steve Quartz. It's my hope that today's message will help you find and live the extraordinary life Jesus gives. After listening to this podcast, I'd like to invite you to connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram for more updates and resources. I want to invite you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the New Testament book of Ephesians. We'll be looking this morning at Ephesians 4, and we'll be focusing on verses 7 and then 11 through 16. Now, we're in a series entitled Stronger, and we're looking at those habits and practices, both private and public, that if we will use them as followers of Jesus, will cause us to be stronger, stronger, stronger in our faith, stronger in our faithfulness, and fruitful. Now, we looked last week, we started to look at our public our public habits, and we looked last week at worship, and we said that worship invites us in with singing, it bows us low in prayer, it uh, slows us down to hear the word of God, and then it offers us rest. By it, God offers us his rest. One of the things that I forgot to mention to you last Sunday, I'm going to mention to you right now, is one of the, one of the things we do is we provide consistently a sermon, a, a, a notebook for taking sermon notes. And as I was going out speaking to people, I noticed some of you have already got them. You got your pens ready. And uh, I, I was glad to see that. But if you're, when you slow down in worship, when you slow down to hear the word, <clears throat> many of us, not all of us, but many of us are helped by taking notes, by writing down things that we, uh, uh, truths that we didn't know or truths that we need to be reminded of, or we need to write down sometimes a word that God gives us from his word, a word of application, a word of instruction, a word of encouragement, a word of correction. So I want to encourage you to do that. They, they will cost you nothing. They will benefit you hugely in the days to come. Now, Today we want to look, we've seen how worship works to build strength into our lives Sunday by Sunday by Sunday, but today we want to look at how growth works to make us stronger, how spiritual growth works to make us stronger. And so we come to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 17, and the scripture says here, and he, Christ, gave the apostles the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes, so that rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, the church, joined and held together by every joint, every member with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up 
in love. Now, this is an incredibly important passage. It answers a whole host of questions. And so today I'm tempted to have a four-hour sermon, but you'll be relieved to know I'm not going to attempt it, but I sure am tempted. Uh, but here in this passage, we, we find answers to questions like this. What is the church for? And, and what is the church to do? What is its work? And then what is the church's win? What, 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 what is it we're ultimately after? And then finally, what does the church require of all those parts that together make up the body of Christ? It answers all of those questions and hopefully we'll tag a few of them today. So I, I want you to see this, this morning that just like worship teaches us that when we live best, that we live best when we love Jesus first, consistently practicing love for him through the week and celebrating our love for him on Sundays. Today we're exploring the strength that comes to life when believers intentionally gather to grow together. When God's people intentionally gather to grow together. We gather to worship, celebrate our love for Christ, but we also are called to gather to grow together. The gospel is that the Father gives Christ as a gift for sinners and gives Christ to sinners. And as they respond with repentance and faith in Christ, believers are made saints and then they're set apart for Christ. Christ, in turn, gives them a place in his body, the church. And here in Ephesians 4, Paul says that Christ calls his church to two fundamental callings. In verses 1 to 10, if you look, in verses 1 to 10, he calls his church to unity. In verses 11 through 16 and following, he calls his church to maturity. And so there are two calls, unity, the unity that the Spirit has already given us. He says, protect that. And then he calls us to maturity. He says, do that. And what's interesting is because we have such a hard time maintaining unity, have you noticed that? How many of you are married? Okay, there you go. We have such a hard time maintaining unity unity, and because we all struggle with maturity, what God gives us is this. Watch now. He gives us his spirit. He gives us unity by his spirit, and he calls us to maintain it. But I wonder if you've ever seen this. When it comes to maturity, to being mature in Christ, he gives us his church. He gives us his church. For unity, he's given us the spirit. For maturity, he gives us his church. His church. Now, it struck me as I was just thinking about how hard both of these things are. It's hard to be unified and it's hard to grow up. Uh, have, have you noticed that? Uh, is there are places, I don't care how old you are, you're going, when are you going to grow up? You say that to yourself. You, you ever say that? It struck me that one of God's gifts to me is my wife, Cheryl, because uh, she has taught me how to practice unity and she has raised me up to maturity. She has raised me up to maturity, and so I'm grateful for, for her. So right now, you reach over, and if you're sitting with your wife, grab her hand and squeeze it. This is, of course, the great challenge of marriage, but it's the great challenge of friendship. You don't have to be married to understand this. Uh, you can be single and understand this. This is the great challenge of friendship. It's staying united when you're two different people and, and letting that friend help you grow up. A real friend will help you grow. 
and will help you grow up. So here's what I want you to see. In Ephesians 4, 11 to 16, uh, Paul is unpacking for us how this spiritual maturity comes and what it always involves. He shows us what it looks like when it's happening. And then he shows us what spiritual growth to maturity actually requires of all of us. And this is what I want to unpack for you today. First, look with me at verse 7 and then verses 11 to 12 and see with me how it is that this spiritual growth comes, how it is that spiritual maturity comes. These verses explain uh, how it happens and what it always involves. So notice what Paul does here. To clarify how spiritual growth comes, he points to certain gifts that Christ gives to his people as he gives them a place in his church. What does he give? There are three gifts that he gives, Paul says. First, Christ gives spiritual gifts to people. We didn't read the passage, but we see that in, in, uh, that in verses three through six. While Christ gives his church one, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and gives the church one God and one Father, he also, verse seven says, gives us a diversity in that unity. He gives us different spiritual gifts or abilities in different amounts according to his desire and according to his desire not just for us, but for his church. Uh, in other words, what Paul is saying is that I am who I am in Christ. I am who I am. I've been gifted as I've been gifted, not just so I can flourish, but I've been gifted the way I've been gifted so that others in the body of Christ can flourish. So I'm a gifted person. God, Christ gives gifts to his people. But then, this is what I want you to see. In, in, in chapter four, beginning at verse 11, he goes on to say he not only gives gifts to his people, but he gives people to his church. He gives gifted people to his church. And what that means is, what Paul is getting at is, that every member of the body of Christ is effectively a gifted, gifted by Christ with gifts, a gifted gift to others. We are gifted gifts. We are gifted gifts. We are gifted gifts to each other in the body of Christ. So Christ gives spiritual gifts or abilities to his people. He gives gifted people to his church. And we see that it's unpacked for us in verses 11 and 12. Notice in verse 11, he shows how Christ gives a, a specific group of gifted leaders to his people in the church. And then in verse 12, how Christ also makes each of his gifted people a gift to each other. All right, let's take a look at that. It's interesting because with each of these gifts, Christ also gives a specific assignment to be carried out inside his church. It's what I call the church's inside work. Do you see that phrase, the work of ministry? The work of ministry in verse 12? This is a work that takes place inside the church. It's the church's inside work. It's what believers do in obedience to Christ within the fellowship. Notice this. To some, he gives the work of equipping. We see that in verse 11. To everyone, he gives the work of building, verse 12. In verse 11, he says that by his specific gift of certain people, Christ has given to his church apostles and prophets. 
those who form the foundation of the church, those uh, men through whom, through whom God's word and his gospel story have been spoken and recorded and by whom his church was established and by whom his, his church is encouraged and strengthened. We're being in, uh, strengthened and encouraged right now by the work of the apostle Paul as we go through Ephesians 4, verses uh, 11 to 16. There were also evangelists that Christ gave to the church, persons who travel proclaiming the gospel of peace with God through the cross of Christ, reminding the church of that truth and informing the lost. There are shepherds who are teaching pastors and elders who guide God's, God's people with God's word and protect their well-being, especially when it comes to challenging false teaching. And then there are teachers who are called to share in presenting and applying God's word, but without a pastor's leadership authority. So Christ specifically equips all of these, this group that he mentions in verse 11, to have a verbal ministry of teaching the word of God. By their ministries, if you look at chapter four, verse 20, the, the saints learn Jesus. They learn Jesus. They learn how to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, look like Jesus. They learn Jesus. Now, these persons equip, Paul says, verse 11, the saints, or prepare or outfit or train them for a particular purpose. And here, spiritual leaders equip the saints for, notice what it says, the work of ministry, verse 12, which is building up the body of Christ. And so the picture here is, is that of the church as a building. Suddenly we've gone from body to building, but as a building that is under construction, but it is a building under construction that is building itself. The emphasis here is on people developing people, people building up people. So spiritual leaders invest their time heavily in equipping the saints by teaching the word and applying the word. The saints receive that, that ministry and in turn, they invest their lives in building up the body by building each other up. Now I want you to notice, we aren't given a picture of the church as one with religious professionals serving religious consumers who come to be fed and therefore grow. We have a picture of the church where an equipping and a, and, and a work of ministry, a building ministry happens and it belongs to everyone. And while this work is not all that the church does, it is an inside work that the church does and it is an essential work that the church does. There is, of course, there's an outside work of mission that Christ has given to the church. But the inside work happens as believers gather week by week to love God in worship and to grow together, particularly in smaller groups, in smaller settings. Christ's desire is that every time we gather, however and whenever we gather in large groups like this one, in smaller groups like life groups or, or serve teams, we're all built up. We are, that, that, that when we gather, we're all built up and at the same time, we build up. And, and what that means is this, every team at Center Grove that we have is actually a building team. Kids and students and adults and seniors and welcome, the welcome team and the next steps teams, they're all oriented ultimately, regardless of what they're doing, they're all oriented toward building, toward building up the body, they're building teams. It, it includes our production team that you never see who are up in our room right now, just above us, making sure that this is being broadcast and, and everything is as it should be. You, it's incredibly complicated. I'm glad I'm here and I'm glad I'm not there. This is so much easier than being up there, I'm telling you. 
But it includes the production team, the helps team, our security team, our finance team, our personnel team, our membership team. All of them are also building teams. In them and by them, God's people are, are, are called and are meant to work building each other up and to be built up together. Quickly, I wanna say this, that if you are on a team here, your, your, your work ultimately is to see that God's people are built up and, and, and made stronger. But that includes and begins with the people you work with. So if you're on the welcome team, you not only, not, you, you not only ought to be welcoming those who are coming onto the campus, but you, are also, you ought also to be building and nurturing and encouraging each other in the act of your service. Does that make sense? That's what you should be doing. We're always coming to church to be built up for sure, absolutely, but also to build up. To be built up, but also to build up. Critical insight here, critical for us to see. The outside work that we have happens as believers scatter. The inside work happens as we gather. The outside work happens as we scatter week by week to our neighborhoods, our offices, our shops, our gyms, our schools. And there we're serving the needs of others. We're sharing the gospel of Jesus in the world. That's why we go on missions trips to places like Boston and Nova Scotia and Great Britain and the Philippines and Myanmar. But our inside work is this work of ministry to each other, equipping and being equipped by our leaders to build up and be built by each other. That's the work of the church. And, and I want to say this, that's the real Christian life. That's how the life is done. That's how the life is lived. But now let's ask the question, what precisely are pastors equipping for and what are the saints building for? I mean, what is, if you will, our win? What, what's our goal? What's our, our, our end zone? Try to imagine, if you will, football without an end zone, without a goal line. Just take that completely away. What would be the point of getting together? If there is no goal line, if there is no end zone, why? You run a pass play, why? You tackle, why? You, you jump up and, and yell and, and scream, why? Why, what would be the point of football without an end zone, without a goal line? One of the things I find curious is that many, many people who have been to church for a long, long time can't tell you what the end zone is or the goal line is of the church. And because they, they, they don't really know, sometimes we make it up and we just, you know, we want everybody to be happy and that's the goal. And we want everybody to have community and that's the goal. And, and uh, we want to be right and show the world they're wrong and that's the goal. And there are all kinds of goals. And what, what happens is, I'll bet you if we had time and I had my four-hour sermon, we could go around and ask everybody, <laughs> before I preached, what, what's the goal? What's the point of this? And I'll bet you we would get hundreds of different answers. Uh, but Paul clarifies that for us, and I think this is so important. He shows us in verses 13 and 14 what the goal is, what the goal line is, what the end zone is. He shows us what spiritual growth looks like and what we're actually aiming for as a local church. Notice in verse 13, he shows us what the church looks like when spiritual growth is occurring. In verse 14, he shows us what life looks like when, when growth is stunted. 
when growth is happening, he says, there's, notice this in verse 13, unity of faith. You know growth is happening. You know you're winning when there's unity of faith, when there's unity around what is believed by everyone. There is verse five, chapter four, verse five, one faith. There is a set of non-negotiable things that must be believed in order to be saved. And that's the central, that's the heart of our faith as believers. The deity of Christ, the virgin birth, the divine inspiration and authority of the Bible, the Trinity, the salva that salvation is needed by everyone and that it comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. These are our core convictions and growing in those core convictions creates a unity for us in the body of Christ. When growth is happening, there's also a unity of knowledge of the Son of God. This is a personal and experiential knowledge of the Jesus of the Bible, of the Jesus who is now at the right hand of the Father, the second person of the Trinity, come in human flesh, perfect in his life, a sinner substitute in his death, risen from the dead, ascended to heaven, seated at the right hand of God, who is now head and Lord of the church, head and Lord of, of one's life, living in us by his spirit. There is, when growth is happening, there is unity around this personal experiential knowledge of the living Jesus. And when, when, when I'm walking with Christ and you're walking with Christ and when he is uh, 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 alive to us, speaking to us, working in us, there is a unity that is created by that shared experience of the living risen Christ, the one we know by faith once and for all delivered to all the saints, we know personally by experience because we have a living, deepening relationship with him. In short, where growth is happening, look at the end of verse 13. In a church, there is maturity. A maturity that is, watch this, underline this in your, in your Bible. There is a maturity that is measured by Jesus. How do I know I'm grown up? What is my standard? What is my ultimate goal? It is Christ-likeness. What we're working for here is Christ-likeness, Christ-likeness. Ultimately, and I would say this is true of every life group, of every team, of every, every aspect of our church's life, what we're really aiming for ultimately is Christ-likeness. So the measure of all that a church does, the aim and goal of all that a church does is whether its people are becoming and whether the church is becoming more like Jesus in attitude and character and conduct and convictions. Now I want you to notice, this is something Paul says that uh, we aim for until we attain it. And the idea with that attain is, he's giving us a picture. He's saying that, yeah, this is our goal, but we're on a journey the idea is that spiritual growth is a journey and full maturity is the destination that comes after a long trip. Elsewhere, John tells us that this process of maturity that is meant to take place now will finally end in a future event. He says in 1 John 3, beloved, we are God's children now and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. So there, this, is, this is a process that has a fixed end coming. But we're working now toward that end. This is what pleases God, which brings delight to his heart. To be able to look at you and to look at me and to look at us as a church and say, I see more and more of my son. 
I'm seeing more and more of his character. I'm seeing more and more of his conduct. I'm seeing more and more of his convictions as to what really matters and to what really counts. I'm seeing more and more of that in you. You're setting aside your convictions about what matters and what matters most, and you're taking on more and more of his convictions about what matters and what matters most. Faithful churches and Christians confess that Jesus in all of us to the full is our aim, our goal, and our win. Now, I'm gonna stop right here. And I want you to just look around the room a minute. Just, just look. Don't look at me. You've, you've seen enough of me. All right, look, look a little somebody else. Anybody else? Okay. I just want you to look around. I'll know we're really healthy when more and more of us, when we look around and see each other, are deeply committed, not simply to our being more like Jesus, but to others being more like him in the body. That our desire, our motivation, is not just about me, not just about me. I wanna be more like Jesus, I wanna please him and all this. This is wonderful, it's good, I'm, I'm glad you feel that way, but we're to be just as committed to seeing others among us become more like Jesus. Listen, this is why church membership matters. Some people say, oh, it doesn't matter. Well, one of the beauties of church membership is simply this. When, 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 when people covenant together to come into a local body of Christ, what they're actually doing is saying, I am coming in to be built up and to build. I'm making a commitment that I, I, I'm going to use my life to help others grow stronger to help others know him and love him more. That's my commitment. This is not just, watch this, this is not just a Jesus and me theology. It's a Jesus and us theology. Do you see that? The, the, we're here. And, and, you know, I would, I, I'd love to see the day when we make a, a real point. In fact, I'm gonna go ahead and give you this assignment. What if we were to agree from now on and this means you got to do it out in the lobby as you leave. What if from now on we, we made a deep commitment that whenever we're on the campus here, we find somebody we don't know, we don't know their name, we, we never met them, and we meet them? You say, I'm an introvert. Well, so am I. Jesus helps us get over our, ourselves and get over our introversion, but... So I'm so, I'm, I'm, we haven't met. I'm whatever your name is. What if we made a deep commitment not only to do that, to connect with people, but what if we made a deep commitment to find one person, one person to encourage and build up? One person to encourage and build up. Especially those that... Uh, 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 we sense the Spirit is maybe leading us to encourage and build up. You can tell. Sometimes you just see it in people's faces. Sometimes I've noticed, uh, if I, of course, I'm the pastor, and I, I know all that, but sometimes I've noticed that when I'll stop and say, How's the, how, how are you doing? And people will immediately say, fine. We, we just, we do that. And I, I get that. I get that. We don't want to burden others with our issues and all of that. I get that. I get that. I get that. But then sometimes you just look in their eyes and you just go, mm. not entirely. And then I'll just say, how are you really? How are you really? And very, very often it just opens up. 
and you get to speak a word of encouragement or a word of comfort. And that really is the way the body of Christ should be. That should be the way, that's the way it should be on teams. That's the way it should be in life groups where we're, we're actually tending to each other, tending to each other. We have an epidemic of loneliness in the United States. We have an epidemic of isolation in the United States. And you know what God's great cure to the epidemic is? Us. But if we just have a Jesus and me theology, and boy, my, I'm getting close to my four-hour sermon. I got to quit and get on. <laughs> but, if, but if we keep practicing this Jesus and me theology, then we'll be able to come in here, worship, and go, and never, never be encouraged and never encourage. We can come in here and go and never connect. We can come in here and go and, and never really be the body of Christ. Now, Notice this, notice verse 14. If maturity is our great win, if that's what we're really aiming for, then immaturity is our great loss. That's why verse 14 says, both leaders and saints are working to make sure that believers are no longer being like spiritual children. Now, obviously, all believers start out in that spiritual condition. How else could it be? We're all born again in Christ. We begin as newborns in the faith. We're all born infants. We're all born children. But the point is that we mustn't stay that way. It's a dangerous condition for all who are in it. The spiritually immature are easily, Paul says, you see it in verse 13, or verse 14, are easily tossed to and fro by the waves. They're carried by every wind of doctrine or every idea, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Paul is concerned about the threat of false teaching of spiritual and, and cultural ideas that, that come co continuously from the outside and, and can surface on the inside of the body of Christ because it's, they're, they're taking root in the lives of people. Why? Why is he so concerned? Well, he knows that the spiritually immature are vulnerable. They can be taken advantage of. They can be kept weak in their faith. There is, as verse 14 shows us, Today, just as in Paul's day, a strategy at work designed to lead you, your Christian friends, your family, and your kids astray from the truth of the gospel. Your enemy has his fingerprints all over that strategy. And all too often, if we're not careful, we sacrifice the pursuit of truth in the name of busyness and accomplishment and work. And, there, and yet the reality is none of us can live without the truth, all of us need the truth to grow and all of us need, as Paul puts it later, to grow up. Sooner or later, here, I want you to hear me say this. Sooner or later, someone or something decides the truth you and I live by. Sooner or later, someone or something is gonna decide the truth that you and I live by. Let me just speak to parents quickly and say, this is why your kids need active, ongoing participation in the kids' ministry. This is why your students need active, ongoing participation in the student ministry. The chronologically young are also spiritually vulnerable and can be easily exploited. So parents, let me ask you a question really quickly. Are your kids getting the help they need to understand the truth and defend themselves against the lies that are found in our culture and in our society? Who teaches them about gender? Who teaches them about transgenderism? Who teaches them about sex and marriage and family and abortion? TikTok, Instagram, YouTube, Netflix, their school friends, their favorite celebrity, their soccer coach. Who teaches them? And then I, I'm gonna go, go ahead and say this. Who teaches you? 
We need truth. We need God's truth, not so we can be right and prove everybody else is wrong, but so we can live and be, be, be conduits of life to a dying world. That's what we need. So kids need kids ministry and, and students need student ministry, not so we can teach them everything, but so that we can come alongside you and help them. You say, oh, my kids are homeschooled. I don't care. You say, oh, my kids are in a Christian school. Do you think everybody else in their Christian school is born again, sanctified, delivered, filled with the Spirit, and have the theological acumen of Martin Luther? Some of those kids are there because they are lost and they're trouble. And mom and dad are going, I hope you can straighten them out. They're in your kid's Christian school. Now, hopefully you don't have those kind of kids in your home school, but. <laughs> Even if your child is homeschooled, your child lives in a world with ideas that are constantly getting in even to them. And unless you're gonna put them on an island and go off the grid, which you know you're not gonna do, that dishwasher means too much to you. You need, they need, we need each other, and we need God's truth. Truth matters, ideas matter, false ideas can destroy. God's word brings life. The truth and the lies both have eternal consequences. You see, there's a firmness and a stability and a growth that can only come, watch this, only come from the ministry of other believers in the local church. All of us are vulnerable to drift on the open sea. So that's why Paul and the rest of the New Testament urge believers not to pursue Christ's likeness and spiritual growth as one goal that we have for ourselves, but as the goal every believer should have and pursue relentlessly for all believers and for self. We all win when we grow. We all lose when we don't. I can't win spiritually without you. You can't win spiritually without me. We win together or we don't win. We grow together or we don't grow. And this means that there's one question that we should ask each other regularly, but we very rarely ask because we, we, we offend each other with it, with a question. And I find it just evidence that we don't really understand the church. Watch this. You, you introverts are just going to have a meltdown, so just hold on to yourselves. But one of the questions that we should always be asking each other is, how are you doing spiritually? How are you doing spiritually? Now, don't ask it like you're accusing. How are you doing spiritually? I mean, there's a way to say it. And there's a way not to say it. But that's a fair question. In the body of Christ, that's a fair question. We should be able to ask each other that. And we should be free to hear it asked of us. How are you doing spiritually? This isn't a question, first of all, about sin in your life. It's a question about spiritual progress and formation. It's, it's basically, are you becoming more like Jesus? And if so, how? 
Oh, there's a happy boy. There's a happy set of questions. But it's so important. It's, another way of saying it is, are you winning? Are you winning? Are you winning? How are you making it on your way to the goal line? How are you winning? Are you winning? Are you becoming more like Jesus? Tell me how, how, how you're doing it. So Not so I can judge you, but so I can rejoice with you and probably learn from you because I'm, always, I'm, I'm all about the very same thing. You're, how are you taking your next step? Sometimes I, when I see other people taking their next step, I'm challenged to take my own next step. So we can worship in large groups. We can encourage individuals in large groups, mainly before and after the gathering, but Small groups are so very important for this very reason. In small groups, we can know and we can be known. Our lives can be shared. The word can be shared in love. We can share what God is doing and what the enemy is doing. And we can be helped by the gifts of others and the words of God as they're shared. In this way, we grow. In this way, we become more like Jesus. This is our ultimate win. This is how we grow strong. This is church. This is church. We uh, had a, our discipleship mentoring group celebration Friday night, and we've had uh, 90 people signed up to go through basically uh, the experience of being in a small group with other people, reading the same passage of scripture daily from Monday through Friday, texting each other every day, morning and evening, saying, I started the day with Jesus, I ended the day with Jesus, praying for each other, memorizing scripture, and then holding each other accountable every two weeks, getting together and saying, how are you doing? Uh, how are you winning? Some of them told me after the, the celebration Friday night, they said, I, I heard about that, I thought, I'm never doing that. Somehow, God, by his grace, maneuvered them into it. And they said, I'm so glad I did. And the stories, I wish you could have been there, the stories that we heard, and then the stories that were told to me afterward, phenomenal stories of just spiritual growth. One couple told me that they, they started talking about the Bible together like they never have in their entire marriage. She was in an, a DMG, he was in a DMG. They're both reading the same passage of scripture. They come back together and talk. It's a phenomenal thing, absolutely phenomenal thing. Believers who have been believers uh, for a lot of years and brand new believers as well, but believers who have been believers for a lot of years are saying, I've never spent this much time in the word of God and it, it is changing my life. It's transforming me. I'm not the same person. I'm not the same person. This is the mark of a healthy winning church. Members who are aware of the grace of God in their lives who actively serve others with a passion for seeing all in the church built up. All right, so let's go quickly then to verses 15 and 16. How does that happen? I mean, what does the building up actually look like? Is it me saying, I really like your tie? Great scarf. How can I pray for you? What does it look like? I mean, how do we build each other up? Honestly, how does it, what does it look like? Look at verses 15 and 16. Here in these final verses, we have a description of what spiritual growth for all of us requires of each of us. It is all the saints gifted by Christ, equipped with truth by spiritual leaders, speaking the truth in love to each other. That's it right there. I can stop right there. That's it. That's how we build each other up. We speak the truth in love. Verse 15 says explicitly that this is how we grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. This is how we do it. We speak the truth in love to each other. 
Verse 16 unpacks why this loving, truth-speaking works and how it works. Paul says it all begins with Christ, from whom the whole body, do you see it there in the passage, the whole church is joined, is connected in relationship and held together, united by every joint, by every member of the body with which it has been equipped, gifted with gifts, each part working properly, doing what, uh, doing what God has called it to do, doing the, the work of ministry, is working properly, in the body for others. This speaking the truth in love is what makes the body grow so that it builds itself up. Now, exactly what is that? Now, I have heard this used so many times, it's almost funny. I'm just speaking the truth. And if I say it and smile, then I'm doing it in love. I've seen Christians misuse this like crazy. Now, now we do need to tell each other the truth. We, we do, we, we need to... to to, we need to be honest, but that's not what the point of this passage is. That's not what it's saying. What it's saying is this is how we build each other up. We speak the truth. And this is not my truth. It's not even the, the, the reality about where you are. The, the truth is God's truth. We speak God's truth to each other in love. Now, I'm going to give you a personal illustration Years ago, when I first came to Center Grove, we had staff and we were trying to get the church back on its feet and, and we were under tons of stress and tons of pressure and, you know, it was just solving problems day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out and day in and day out. And I was the executive pastor. I was the lead pastor. I was the counseling pastor. I was the pastor, pastor, pastor for everything. I was the pastor. And it was a heavy load. I remember one day in staff meeting, we were sitting around and I'd asked for something to be done and it wasn't done. And I turned to, to a staff member, they're all gone now. We've got, I'm the only one left, the last man standing. Um, and I turned to one of the staff members whom I, I really loved and I really appreciated. And, I, and, and finally, this staff member reported that what had, what had not been done, had not been done, had not been done, was finally done. And I said, it's about time in front of the whole staff. I'm sure it was a Monday. I was tired from Sunday. I was just tired. Didn't make it right, though. Conway Shuff, who was uh, helping me as kind of an, an administrator, uh, he came and said, can I speak to you? And I said, sure. Come on in the office. And I could tell he was a little nervous. And he looked at me dead in the eyes, and he said, Pastor, you should not have said that. I had a choice I needed to make. He said, Pastor, you should not have said that. He was speaking the truth and love to me. And at the heart of what he was saying to me was this. Be kind, tenderhearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's really what he was saying to me. That's speaking the truth. It's not, I didn't like what you said. It's, here's what God's word says, and you didn't do it. And the reason I'm coming to you is because this wasn't right. So you know what I did? I fired him. I fu no. <laughs> I said, I said, right away, Conway, go gather the staff right now. Got them all back in the room, and I looked at that staff member, and I said, I am very sorry. I should not have said 
I said. I should not have said what I said. Do you see what a gift he gave to me? Did you know that he helped me grow? Did you know that he helped me become more like Jesus? Because he reminded me that the call of God on my life is to be kind, tenderhearted, and forgiving of others as God in Christ has forgiven me. I'm not above that. I'm not above that. That's the way the body of Christ works. And if you don't have, and I don't have people who are, who are like that, not willing just to speak truth, but willing to speak into our lives God's truth with love. And what, what, what is the motive of the love? I want you to be more like Jesus. I'm not wanting to be right. I'm not wanting to control you. I'm not wanting to manipulate you. I'm not wanting to, 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 to form you in my image. I want to see the image of Christ formed in you. So I'm going to come to you with love and I'm going to say, brother, what's this? Sister, what's this? And if I understand the point of the church, I will receive that and go, thank you. You just gave me a gift and you honored the Lord. So it's not telling people hard things they don't like. It's God's people taking what they've learned of God's truth from the equipping they've received from their spiritual leaders and then using that word to help and encourage and strengthen and rebuke each other. Pastors and teachers have a word ministry through preaching and teaching, but all believers have a word ministry through speaking and applying the word with others and to others and receiving that word applied to them. This, loved ones, is how the church works. This is how the church wins. This is how, how the Christian life is lived on the inside before it's ever lived on the outside. This part is, is part of the cure for immaturity. This is the source of maturity. The word spoken and shared and applied for each other to each other. In just a few short verses later, see in verses 29, verse 29, Paul explains this further and he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace, God's truth, his gospel to those who hear. This is the only way true growth happens, speaking God's truth in love and hearing God's truth spoken in love so we can all grow up into Christ. This is how we win. This is how we work. So I want to end this morning by making some simple appeals to you, and I want to speak directly to our church. This is the church as Christ gives it to us, and, and we really have to decide whether we're going to accept the church as he gives it to us or whether we're going to make it something else. Will we be this church? I want to appeal to you. Let's be done with the Jesus and me theology and view of the church. You and I can't have Christ by ourselves to ourselves. That's not how it works. When, when we receive him, he brings with him his church. Look around again. This is what he gives you. You say, I haven't got a lot to work with. We feel the same way about you, but we're here and we love you.
We are one with each other in him, whether we like it or not. And by the way, changing churches isn't going to fix it. They got messed up people just like this church does. I mean, what are you looking for? Heaven, it's not here yet. Let's be done with the I can, I can follow Jesus by myself strategy. Here's the reality. You and I can't grow up fully by ourselves. We grow best when we grow together. The practice of our faith includes his people. It includes keeping our unity around him. It, it involves the relentless pursuit of maturity for all. And when members seek to be a gift and a blessing before they're gifted and blessed, when members know that they're called to serve and be served, when members practice speaking God's truth with love and are spoken to with truth and love, everybody grows, everybody wins. The body of Christ is stronger. But this is what I want you to see. When that is happening... When the ministry on the inside is happening, then the mission gets propelled on the outside. The mission gets propelled on the outside. When you and I love each other enough to speak God's truth, not my truth, God's truth to each other and to receive that and be built up by that, what happens is we put on display the redemptive work of Christ. We begin to show the new humanity that he's, he, is, he is creating in us. New people who aren't like everybody else, who aren't like everybody else, not because they're special, but because Jesus has transformed their lives. We become a living example of what's to come. A new heaven and a new earth and a new people living in a new heaven and a new earth. We're, we're kind of like the, the snapshot, the portrait. That's what we are. That's who we are. But we will never be that if we don't love each other enough to see ourselves as gifted, gifts, gifted for the benefit of others. If we have this Jesus and me theology that only, only, only comes to Christ for what he can do for us. The world will never be impacted. The world will never be changed. We will never go. If we, if we can't love each other enough to, to invest in each other, we will never go to the world with the gospel of Jesus. And they'll never believe us because we will look so much like them. That's church. That's the body of Christ. So I'm going to end this way. How are you doing spiritually? Who has permission in your life to ask you that? You need a team to work on. You need a life group to be in. Because here, you'll practice loving Jesus. But there, you'll learn to grow. I can get you set up. I'm equipping you. I can get you set up. I can get you set up. But it's that life on life. hearing the word of God spoken by a brother or sister into my life and 
me speaking into this, that's the life on life stuff. That's where I start looking more and more like my master. Every life group leader, would you stand up? Every life group leader, would you stand up? Every life group leader, would you stand up? Or my brother, all right. Help us be the church. 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 This is your life group. This is your life group. This is your assignment. It comes from Jesus. This is your assignment. Help us be the church. Teach the people under your care how to speak truth with love, how to speak God's word to each other and encourage each other. Build each other up. Thank you for your service. We're grateful for you. You can be seated. Father, we, we thank you. We bless you for the opportunities of this hour to actually see your church as it really is and to understand how it's meant to function and what our role is in it. Help us uh, pastors to be the best equippers we can be and, and, and to help our members, Father, to be the best builders they can be. Grant us courage to build up, to care, to love each other. Set us up strong in, in ministry so we can be strong on our mission. We pray and ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Would you stand together all across the room? We've left for you a calendar on your seats to show you times when the body of Christ is gonna be coming together. I want you to plan that. I want you to calendar that. I want you to know about that. You're gonna get another one for the next year. We'll be telling you when we're going on mission, when we're doing this, when we're doing that. We've got a family reunion coming up. I want you to be here and I want you to come bringing some word with you, doing some word ministry, doing some word ministry, encouraging each other. Go beyond, I like your scarf. So what about our Savior? Hey, listen, uh, God has sent a great Savior in Jesus. A great cure for isolation, a great cure for loneliness, a great cure for sin. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross pay the penalty for sin so that those who would receive him don't have to pay that penalty. He wants to restore broken people, hurting people, sinful people. You say, I'm broken, I'm hurting, I'm sinful. Good, Jesus came for you. He came for me. I, I, I'm in the same condition. He's just cleaning me up now. Some of you today, I want to invite you, I want to invite our, our, our worship our, our response team to come because we always have response time at the end of worship because that's part of worship. So come on, response team, come quickly, come quickly. Some of you may want to come today and say, I'm ready to give my life to this Savior. I need a new life. I need to go from the old to the new. I invite you to come. We'll help you take that step and make that journey. Some of you here today need to come and just say, Lord, give me a fresh love for the body of Christ. I've been looking at all of its problems. I've been looking at all of its failures and all of its foibles. And, I, and I've missed the point that we're all under in process. And I've been, maybe I've, I've been critical. Maybe I've not been building up. Maybe I've been tearing down. Some, some of us need to confess a Jesus and me theology saying it's just me and Jesus and I'm good. No, 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 no. Jesus brings his church. 
Some of you need to come and pray for your children because you realize that they're vulnerable right now to lies and not the truth. And, and you've not owned your part, nor have you helped them get connected with the body so that we can help you. Some of you just need to come pray for your family. Some just need to come and pray for your life groups. Some of you just need to come and pray. You've got men to pray with men and women to pray with women, and I'm here to pray with anybody. You come as we sing this song. They say, are we gonna do this every single week? How many times must I say it? Yes, every single week. Unless I do a four hour sermon and then maybe not. You come, let God have his way. You come, pray for your family. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoy these podcasts, take a moment to rate and review CG Life with Steve Kortz. My prayer is that God will continue to inspire and challenge you in Christ as week by week we apply the gospel faith to real life.